1: what's going on guys welcome back to another episode of the Chasing health podcast i have with me today a special guest mike Milner. i met mike who i've been following his content for a while even when i first started my own health and fitness journey before i even got into the nutrition coaching space myself Um, and then ever since then i you know got to meet him through a couple conferences i went through through nutrition coaching institute i know i've had other guests on here through nci and such and now he's one of my mentors for my business and Um, Super great guy. Nice to get to talk to and really glad to have you on the show today, Mike.
2: Yeah, thanks, Chase. I appreciate you having me on.
1: Of course. Before we dive in here, do you mind just giving a brief explanation and introduction of who you are?
2: Yeah. So saying brief is always a challenge for me, but I'll do my best. (laughs) Uh, So I've been in the coaching space for, I guess, a little over 10 years now. Uh, Started because of my own journey. Uh, I grew up an athlete and thought that I was in the clear when it came to my body and uh, not having issues with food. Uh, I I grew up in a family dynamic where dieting was the norm. Uh, I always remember my mom being on various diets. And then my older sister, my oldest sister, uh, had battles with eating disorders, anorexia. And at one point or, or another, somebody in my family was kind of always going through body image issues and uh, relationship with food issues. And I thought that I was the fortunate one because I was always playing sports and had like a you know fast metabolism, could eat whatever I wanted. Went off to college, continued playing sports, and then picked up a lot of typical college kid habits where I was eating a lot, drinking a lot. Once I was no longer playing sports after college, I gained weight very quickly and didn't even recognize that it was happening. And I just remember one day looking in the mirror and not really recognizing the person that was staring Mm -hmm. back. Uh, I don't know what the total, I started trying to lose weight and I was probably about a month into that process where I finally was brave enough to get on the scale. Uh, when I when I was on the scale, it was like 250 pounds. I was previously like 170, 180. I'm guessing that I was probably close to hundred pounds overweight, 90 pounds overweight, something like that. And I just started doing things all the wrong ways. And uh, really, you know, fad diets, crash diets, very low calorie, doing hours of cardio, trying to hate myself lean. And that led me down the path of you know the the thing that I thought I was avoiding, and that I thought that wasn't going to happen to me, it all came to fruition. Uh, you know, eating disorder issues, uh, body image issues, poor relationship with food, poor relationship with my body, poor relationship with exercise at all manifested itself. And crawling out of that dark place was what led me to want to get into coaching. I started as a personal trainer, and I just found that as I was training people. I noticed that they were super consistent in showing up to the gym, but they weren't really changing. Their bodies weren't really changing. And it was always the conversation around nutrition. And I felt like it was just resonating with me so much because that was always my struggle. Even when I was a personal trainer, thinking that I had to look the part, I was still oftentimes starving myself or doing a fad diet. I kind of felt like a fraud and imposter because here I am trying to teach people how to move their body and live a healthy lifestyle. And yet I can't figure it out for myself. Uh, that was when I dove more into the nutrition side and just found that my passion was more in that area and tried to learn everything that I could about human metabolism and how the body works. And ultimately, that led me to becoming a nutrition coach for another company. Uh, kind of got into macro coaching and didn't really just didn't really align with what I thought was necessary to create true transformation like at its core when it comes to behavior change mindset change lifestyle change and so ultimately i left that company started my own business and now i've had my coaching company for just under 5 years uh, so i've been coaching for about 10 i've had my own business for about
1: 5 awesome thank you for sharing all that and, and i definitely want to dive more into the behavior changes and things like that but one of the things you talk a lot about and you've kind of kind of talked about as well when you're telling your story is this like notion that like you know the diets don't work and like the, you know, but uh, I think there's like that big, like, it's a very big, like vague statement, kind of like when we say like diets don't work because in real reality, they, they kind of do. I mean, like if, if we're doing the right things and I know, right, you know, it's kind of quote unquote, because it's one of those things where it, again, can mean, mean many different things. But when we say like diets don't work, what's your take on like the average diet that most people think of when they think of dieting?
2: Yeah, so I think it's a great point, and like understanding the context. When when I say dieting, you know, the the standard definition is just the the food that we eat and the drinks that we drink. Exactly, really, what a diet is. So, like, when you say my diet doesn't work, it's like work for what? So, understanding what we're talking about, I think that that word has been kind of demonized because Mm -hmm. it is so closely associated with calorie restriction or eliminating food groups or doing a specific protocol. And it's funny because I I posted a question box on my Instagram stories today that was just, what is the worst diet you've ever tried? Mm. A lot of people saying, you know, keto, isogenics, Jenny Craig, Weight Watchers, the cabbage soup diet, a special K diet, like all these things that came up. And I think that that's what we associate with the word. When we hear diet, we think of a name mm-hmm. protocol and i think also we have to clarify when we say doesn't work there's a statistic that six out of every seven people who try to lose weight will successfully lose weight so that in in an essence is is working Mm -hmm. but we also know that most of those people will gain the weight back so when we say Mm -hmm. diets don't work oftentimes we're saying they don't work in sustaining those results so You may have a temporary result, but are you able to sustain it? And I think that's where the name diets, the fad diets, the restrictive protocols fall flat. They can create a temporary result, but they're very ineffective for long-term sustainable
1: change. Yeah, for sure. And I think that's where a lot of people are getting caught up in this. And I think it's because so many people do look at just like what am I eating? Like, I can't have the cupcake. I have to eat the lettuce. You know, I I, I have to do the cardio. I have to do this. I can't do this. Such so black or white thinking. And we're just kind of like skipping over all what's, you know, really important, which is that behavior change and actually like getting at a deeper root cause. Like, why did like first like how did you even get to where you're at? You know, I know I talked to a lot of clients where it's like, you know, if they're 50, hundred pounds overweight, you know, it's not that they, it's just, you know, they ate a little too much and they didn't move enough. Like, yes, of course that's eventually how it came to, but it's usually at a lot deeper level, like what history and, you know, things that they've gone through past traumas or perceived traumas and things like that. So it's a lot of like that mindset piece that we have to work through when it comes to behavior change. Like what are some of the biggest, like key things that you start looking at when you start working with someone to even start to look at what behaviors to change?
2: Yeah. I think that is the underpinning of all success. If, if, You have a plan. I don't care how great your plan is. If the behavior doesn't change, the results won't last. So you can check boxes, you can follow a plan, but if the underlying behaviors aren't changing to fit the lifestyle, the result that you want, it will not last. And same thing with identity and mindset, you have to kind of become that person. And I think that that was the biggest shift for me was I could do all of these protocols. I could follow all of these plans you know, I, I did some crazy diets, 1200 calorie meal plans. I've done you know programs where it was no real food. It was just liquid shakes, whatever. if if I feel, if I'm motivated, I'm like, I need to get this done, I will do it. But the underlying behaviors never changed and my identity didn't change in that process, so the results never lasted. So I had to become that person who stopped drinking like an asshole every single weekend. Mm-hmm. Like I couldn't have 12 beers on a Saturday consistently and have, you know, pizza and, and, you know, whatever else, French fries and all the stuff that like those underlying behaviors were still there while I was following these other plans that temporarily eliminated those things. So, okay, I can put this on hold for now, but those behaviors were still in the background, ready to come back to the forefront immediately when the plan was what either got boring, or it got too difficult, or it was too restrictive, and you just reached that breaking point And now all of those behaviors come back. So when we talk about behavior change, it is actually starting with the identity and becoming that person who moves their body daily, who chooses quality foods over processed foods most of the time, who understands the importance of sleep, who wants to have a healthy routine. Uh, so it's like, in order to understand the the behaviors that need to change we have to understand the identity and the mindset piece and then we have to understand what your lifestyle looks like now and what are the behaviors that the individual wants to change mm-hmm. and i think that that's why you mentioned you know something about kind of the black and white thinking and like the labels and putting people in a box it's like the the problem is that we ignore the individual desire so mm-hmm. if somebody comes to me and they're like look i you know i recognize that i have this behavior that's probably not serving me, but I'm also not willing to change it. That level of self-awareness is huge because Mm -hmm. of course we can work with that. We have to understand what behaviors do you want to change? What behaviors do you currently have in your life that aren't serving you that you want to get rid of? What behaviors do you want to incorporate into your lifestyle uh, that you think will benefit you and why? You know, what do you, you believe if there's you know somebody says i want to become somebody who just enjoys working out or maybe not not even necessarily enjoy it, but i just know that it's good for me so i want to become that person who gets to the gym 3 days per week okay well let's let's dive into that a little bit deeper why what what does that mean to you what would it look like and what would it do for you if you did become that person uh, because we don't understand that underlying motivation that internal motivation then it it's just a fleeting thought that maybe somebody else said that it's what you're supposed to do. And if you're just following it because somebody else is doing it or somebody else said you should be doing it, uh, that's really a flimsy foundation to build on.
1: Yeah. And one thing I want, I want to kind of pick your brain out a little bit as well, because I know there's probably some people thinking about this, like, all right, so, you know, don't restrict the foods that we want to be able to have, but also be the person that we want to be in the future. Which we, you know, they might, you know, just classify. We'll just put in a big box term of healthy, you know, in the in the future, whatever that goal may look like for somebody, and trying to work those foods in. But then it gets that shaky ground of like, how do I have some of these foods without going overboard? And so we talk about, you know, like self control and like being able to like adjust that lever without feeling like we're just like falling off the deep end.
2: Yeah, it's a great question. I think this is where like the whole balance and moderation are like the two buzzwords that get thrown around a lot. And it's easy to say, you know, a lot of times you'll, you'll read like a snippet of advice from uh, social media and it's like, just eat those foods in moderation. It's like, great. Well, that's not really helpful because what does that mean? That could, you know, that interpretation could be, you know, mean one thing to one person and something totally different to somebody else. And then in practice, it might sound good in theory, but in practice you're like, okay, so I'm going to eat this cookie in moderation. I guess I'm just going to have one. And then you have one, you're like, but I really want another one. And then you're like six cookies deep. And you're like, well, that, that didn't work. This whole moderation theory is not for <laughs> me. I guess. Yeah. Uh, so there, there is a level of like, you can't be perfect and we have to understand that like perfection just needs to be taken off the table from day one. And a lot of times it helps to look at other areas of your life and see how that fits into the big picture. So we can pull from other experiences. And, you know, I, I always, we work with a lot of parents, so I'll talk to to moms and we'll talk about Mm -hmm. like raising kids and what that looks like. And it's like, do you expect yourself to be a perfect parent every single day? And they're like, of course not. And like, well, what do you do when you have a day where you're just like, I wasn't the best mom today. They're like, well, I try to do better the next day. Like, amazing. Let's take that same exact mindset and shift it to your nutrition. Now, that's not to say that, uh, like there's very clear research that one of the biggest killers of willpower and self-control is guilt and shame, which Mm -hmm. are often the two biggest emotional triggers for people when they have a cookie or have a cupcake or eat something that's quote unquote off plant. Mm -hmm. So what happens is, you eat that food, you feel guilty about it. And then because you feel guilty about it, you fill that emotional void with the thing that you just ate. Like, well, this feels, I feel guilty. I feel shame. I'm going to eat more. And and this is not just specific to nutrition. There's research that shows the same thing with people trying to quit smoking. I'm trying to quit smoking. I have a cigarette. Well, now I feel guilty because I had a cigarette. That feeling of guilt makes me really want to smoke another cigarette. So it kind of perpetuates itself. So I think the first thing is we have to we have to come from a place of self-compassion. That's the other side of research that we know about willpower and self-control is that coming from a place of compassion is way more likely to allow you to just have the one thing and move on. So you have the cookie because you are trying to practice balance and moderation and because you're like, hey, this is delicious and I want I don't want to get rid of cookies forever. Uh, So you, you have the cookie and instead of feeling guilty about it, you are compassionate towards yourself. Um, There was a really cool study that was done. It was kind of like an overeating study. And the one group was basically after they consumed, they had a, a bar, a bowl of candy and they like were weighing the bowl. So that way, anytime somebody pulled a piece of candy out, like the bowl would get lighter and they knew how much was being consumed. And the one group was Anytime they like pulled out a piece of candy, they were basically given a prompt that was like, you know, no, there's nothing wrong with having a piece of candy. Plenty of people enjoy candy and are still able to live a health. So it was like a very encouraging, self-compassionate prompt. And the other group got none of that. And the group that did not get the self-compassionate message overconsumed by I think hmm. it was like seventy percent more. It was a wow. pretty staggering number and how much more they just kept, you know, eating to, because they were like, well, I'm, I feel guilty and nobody's coming to save me. I'm just going to keep eating this candy. Cause it's right here in front of me. Um, you know, we can get into a lot about like setting up your environment for success, because that's another thing where willpower and self-control, it is a muscle and it does get drained. Um, it does, you know, anytime our brain uses energy and we often use willpower for things that we don't even think about. Like sometimes you're, driving and somebody cuts you off and you have to use willpower to not curse them out and, you know, honk your horn and whatever else. And you're using, and like that drains that willpower battery. Mm -hmm. And then you get home and you're like, oh, there's this, you know, box of cookies right in front of my face. So there's ways to set up your environment where you're not constantly draining that willpower battery. Um, there's a whole bunch of research that's super interesting about willpower and self control, but the the ultimate thing is that when we're trying to incorporate things in, in moderation, we have to come from a place of, of compassion and understanding, uh, of what that's going to look like in the big picture, what we want it to look like in the big picture. And then we're just trying to take gradual steps to make that a reality. And it doesn't happen overnight. And just like parenting, you're going to have days where you're a shitty parent. It's okay. Um, You're Mm going to do better the next day. And if we just take that mindset, then ultimately we'll get there.
1: Yeah. And I I actually, I do want to like go a little bit deeper into that um, self-control and like the setting up your environment, because I think that's one thing, you know, I, I know I have like my take on it and so I'm curious to hear yours as well, as far as like, I feel like at some level, it is hard for some people to have certain foods in their house in the beginning just because they, they don't have any of that self-control just yet. And so the beginning, it might take a little bit more practice. And also maybe we don't keep, you know, the whole stash of all those foods in our house that normally trigger us for these kind of things. So what are your thoughts on like the phases of, I guess, like, I guess we'd call it of getting from like, not being, you know, if you're around it at all, we're going to go head first into it to then eventually be able to be around it and feel comfortable with it.
2: Yeah. So it's one of those things where, there's there's a middle ground. It's kind of like the Goldilocks effect. And self-control and willpower is, is a muscle. It has been proven that it is a muscle where it needs to be trained. Mm-hmm. It also needs quality nourishment. It also needs recovery. It also needs rest and sleep. Like it, it is basically a muscle. Like if you think of willpower like you think of your biceps, like all of it starts to make sense. Um, Mm. Just like you can overtrain, you can exert too much self-control where it starts to manifest as chronic stress. Uh, So we don't want to completely ignore it. Like a lot of times you'll hear people say, well, the best way of, of having self-control is to not rely on it at all. But if it's like, that's basically like, you're not using your muscles at all. And then they deteriorate. Mm -hmm. That's not a good thing either. So there's actually value in trying to create habits just for the sake of building habits and and doing things kind of like a, a silly example would be I'm gonna try to let's say every time you sit down you like instinctually cross your legs and you're like you know what I'm just gonna try to break this habit just to train this willpower muscle and break something that I do uh, kind of subconsciously. So this is one thing that I'm just going to work on randomly. Uh, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to notice, oh, you know what? My, my instincts were to immediately cross my legs, but I'm just going to try to stop doing that. Um, similarly, you can insert, you know, a quality habit, like, uh, you know, every time I wake up in the morning, I'm going to try to start my day with a glass of water. That's not something that I currently do, but I'm going to try to instant. So you're you're actually training that willpower muscle. Then there's also the the rest and recovery side of things. Talking about like, let's get some of these these triggers out of sight, out of mind, mm-hmm. where we're not draining and overtraining the muscle. Um, and that's where there's, you know, a study done about the candy bowl at work. And they had, you know, the the candy bowl was moved from like a desk top to a desk drawer. Like the distance between the two is like six inches. It's either sitting mm-hmm. on top of the desk or it's in the drawer of the desk, but out of not, sight, out of mind. Not being able to see it. Yeah. The, the, the coworkers chose to eat the candy, like it was a third of the time as when it was actually on the drawer. It didn't take any more energy or effort to open the drawer and grab some candy, but just because they didn't see it there all the time, um, they were less likely to consume it. They were using less willpower in the process. So that's where it is a balance. Like you do want to train that muscle. It is important to try to build habits. It's also in, important to try to break habits. There's actually, three components of willpower that exist in three different areas of the prefrontal cortex. It's the, I will, like, I want to, I I will do this thing. Um, I won't, which is I'm trying to break something that I'm currently doing. And then I want, which is like big, big goals, the big desire that I have, maybe it's, you know, to lose a hundred pounds or whatever your, your core desire is. So we have those three segments of willpower that all need to be trained but cannot be overtrained, um, so that's where it's kind of like this this Goldilocks effect, where we, we want to work on them, but we don't want to overtrain them, we don't want to overexert them. And it's also important to understand. Uh, I'm I'm a big big believer in self awareness and self monitoring. So notice without judgment when you're more likely to give in, and what those feelings and thoughts are when that happens. Uh, when do you have more willpower? A lot of people find that like, yeah, I can make these decisions really easily in the morning, but as the day goes on, I just have a harder time making quality decisions. Pay attention to those things, monitor those things. There's a lot of value in in having awareness around those patterns and trends. So then we can plan accordingly based off of what you're observing
1: in yourself. It's kind of, kind of a very similar question, but also... And this might be a more like a little complex question here, but um, something that kind of came to mind when you're talking about, you know, when we're like lacking that willpower, like trying to use it, but not used to use too much or, you know, or maybe not use it enough. At what point do we say that lacking willpower is in fact, like maybe self-sabotage creeping in as well, or, there, or do those like correlate with each other or uh, do you kind of get the direction I'm going with this?
2: I do. It's, it's interesting. There's no matter what we're always, we have, we have, you know, there's kind of this, this phrase that I always come back to where it's like, we have one brain, but two minds. And if you just think about how we evolved, there's this constant battle between the human, like instinctual survival based you that just acts on impulse. And it's like, instant gratification, survival, like, reproduce save the species like do whatever needs to be done to mm-hmm. not die and then there's the like thriving version of you that's like i have bigger goals and aspirations than just what i'm doing in the next 30 seconds like i have long term plans for myself mm-hmm. and there's this it's there's like a conflict of interest like the one is the instant gratification mind the other is the delayed gratification mind so you know it's like who's going to win in each moment. So when we think about self-sabotage, I think about it in two ways. Self-sabotage can can manifest in what I'm talking about right now, where it's not real sabotage. It's just your, in, your instinctual survival based mind won over your long-term future you. So you're like, you made the decision, you made an impulse decision. You went for the instant gratification that's totally fine. It happens. Mm -hmm. Then there's the other side, uh, the the second version of self-sabotage, which is like, I have this internal belief about myself that I am going to prove subconsciously to be true. And that internal belief can be an identity issue that you started to inherit at a very young age. And you believe that I'm not worthy. I'm not good enough. I'm not lovable. I'm not able to succeed, right? You have this, I am statement about yourself. And if you believe that to your core, and that is, you know, your internal operating system, you will subconsciously self-sabotage to confirm that belief. That's the other part of self-sabotage where we have to do a little digging of where did that, where did that come from? Where did, where does that I am statement uh, originate from? Is it true? Do we have any evidence that to support that? Do we have any evidence to the contrary? Is it actually your voice? A lot of times people will hear that I am statement and they're like, actually, that kind of sounds like my dad or that kind of sounds like whoever. Like it's it's not their own voice that they're hearing. And so that is like a whole other thing that we need to unravel and unpack uh, when it comes to self-sabotage. And, and those are typically the two forms that I see. Uh, it's, it's either the survival-based brain one over your thriving brain, or it's the belief system about yourself that you're subconsciously confirming. Because if you, your your brain will kind of validate your internal belief system. If And if you're not aware of it, you won't understand why it's happening. You're like, I don't get it. I really want this thing, but I made these decisions that just are like baffling me. It's like, your brain is going to confirm that internal belief system until you challenge it, until you prove to your brain that that's not really who you are or who you want to be. And you get to the root of where that originated from. And and you start to do the internal work to create a new I am statement about yourself.
1: Yeah. And when we're looking at like trying to create awareness around all this stuff, what are some things like maybe some like tactical, like things that people could leave with this podcast with is like, to like really start creating that awareness around this like self-control and willpower and the self-sabotage. Like how can they create that self-awareness to then be able to identify when this is all showing up to then start making changes?
2: Yeah, so this is the hardest part. This is the part where you actually have to do the work and you have to confront it and you have to kind of face it head on. And there's no like fancy or sexy way of saying it other than you got to write about it. You have to create awareness about it. Uh, You have to have some reflective time for yourself. Um, I think journaling is one of the most powerful tools in the toolbox when it comes to creating that awareness. Um, I think, you know, you know, some meditation, some breath work, anything that kind of down regulates that sympathetic nervous system and puts you in, in that nice parasympathetic state where you can actually sit down with your thoughts. We have to do that work and we have to pay attention to, you know, nobody, when you've been, and I've been there before, I I have been in a situation where I was, was trying to stay really strict on a diet. I went out to dinner, I overindulged, and then I ordered a pizza on the way home from dinner and like ate an entire pizza. Like I've been in those moments of uncontrollable binging. Nobody wants to write about their feelings in that moment. Nobody wants to face those but that's the work that it takes. You have to identify what triggered this. What was the story that I was telling myself at the time? What were the feelings that were coming up at the time? How do I feel afterwards? What happened in my day? Because it might just be that you're under a lot of stress. Like We know that stress is the enemy of self-control and willpower. Stress is the enemy of likely reaching your goals. So if your life is full of Other stressors, we have to identify those patterns that exist and start to manage it as best we can. But if you're just kind of plowing through and you're like, yeah, it's fine. I can, you know, I just, you know, I'm going to beat myself up. I'm going to promise to do better. Uh, You're just, you're just pushing it down. But it's like the analogy I give is, is when you do that, it's like you're, you're taking a beach ball and you're holding it underwater. And you're just pushing it down, and then you you slip up, and you're like, no, stuff the beach ball down further underwater. Eventually, when that ball is released, it's gonna fly above the surface, and that's when you have this like total meltdown and feeling of, I'm not good enough, I'm not capable of doing this. Um, we have to we have to do the the internal work that it takes, where you don't want to write about your feelings you probably have to write about your feelings you don't want to address what was going on in your life that that created that relapse or those that decision that you made that you weren't proud of you have to we have to shift to a place of just being being like a detective and sometimes it's really helpful if and this is going to sound super strange but it's really tactical and it's it's really um useful if you identify like The version of you that makes decisions in alignment with your goals and the version of you that doesn't and you actually put a label to it and you stop talking about it as me and you start talking about as those two. So it could be like, uh, let's like it could be like if you struggle with procrastinating, like the version of you that doesn't act in alignment is the procrastinator and you call it like, oh, the procrastinator did this today. And then it's like the action taker, the action taker when you when you make positive choices, Mm -hmm. the action taker followed through the action taker went to the gym, the procrastinator didn't meal prep, the procrastinator didn't go for a walk, whatever it may be, right. And now it's like, it feels less personal, and you can approach it from a place of compassion, almost like you're talking to a friend or somebody as as like, I'm going to give this person advice and you can start to write about it well the, the procrastinator was thinking xy and z in this moment um and and it really is helpful to kind of almost take a step back and be the observer and kind of like the detective um that starts to put those pieces together so um uh, there's no there's no easy way around it there's no shortcut it's just diving in and like facing those situations head on um but the more that you do it the easier that it gets and Uh, you know it's it's being able to choose the more difficult thing in the moment so you can have the easier thing down the road
1: yeah i mean we can continue to like you said continue to try to suppress it and hide from it and it's never going to get us anywhere we can you know or face it head on and yeah it's going to be ugly yeah it can get really nasty at times when you have to address it but that's when all the work is done you know you get that growth from being uncomfortable during those moments um i'm also i'm kind of curious you know you know, I, like you said, you've been coaching for, you know, almost 10 years now and, you know, with your own business for about, you know, five or so years. And when, like, if you look back at like a lot of the clients you've worked with and the ones specifically those who maybe lost a good bit of weight and kept the weight off, how often do you see cases where like this, maybe this stuff that maybe they've addressed and it's kind of gone away, but it comes back up and how, what have some of them done that have been successful with getting it back under control rather quickly.
2: Yeah. So there's, there's always going to be phases and seasons of life. And, you know, if we do our job where we're prepared for that, and we know that, you know, things are going to be uncertain and unpredictable, and there's going to be phases where we're just trying to maintain, we're trying to do our best. And there's going to be phases where we're a little bit more focused, uh, and there, and there's no right or wrong there. And I think, always trying to approach it from that place of, of self-compassion. That's like one of the things ironically that I get a lot of pushback because people are so, they're like, well, I don't want to let myself off the hook. I, I should be harder on myself. I don't, I, you know, and it's like they're, mm-hmm. they, they become this like strict, almost like dictator to themselves. And it's like, well, How's that working out for you? Because you know we're, we're we're you're beating yourself up because you you know you backtracked a little bit or you had a really stressful period. You had you know we see it a lot with uh, with trauma or you know some kind of a life event that happens, the loss of a loved one, and it's like all of a sudden all the, all the behaviors, all the habits that they built, like they started to default to some different coping mechanisms because they never, never had to experience something like this before. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of a new territory. So it makes sense that your, your impulse, right. Survival based brain kicks in is like, Oh my Mm -hmm. God, we're, we're at risk here. Like what we just need to, right. Like store up fats and sugars because that's how we evolved. Like that's going to keep us alive we need to do whatever we can to get out of this stressful situation and a lot of those quality habits start to to unravel um so the first thing is is coming back to the like self-compassion and understanding um even if it's not triggered by some kind of a major life event even if it's just like you know what i was doing all of these habits and i they kind of just went away over time it's like great well why do you think that happened, and like, what would it mean to you? So we we're kind of like just reconnecting that person to their ultimate core desire and and what that means to them. Uh, and a lot of times we lose sight of that because reaching a weight goal is not going to bring any sort of like joy or fulfillment. It just won't. Mm-hmm. And we believe that it will, and then oftentimes it feels empty. And it's like, well, it's okay because I developed some quality habits and you know, I know what I need to do from a nutrition standpoint. I know what I need to do from a movement standpoint, but like, it didn't bring me the joy or the happiness that I thought it would. So I'm kind of just going through the motions and then it's like, yeah, this, this feels kind of empty and you let yourself slide. And then the next thing, you know, you're like, Oh crap, I just gained 30 pounds and now I'm uncomfortable and I don't want to feel this way anymore. So it's just kind of like connecting to a deeper purpose of like, well, what, like, What is this even for? Like, why is it even important that we get those habits back in place or that we change these behaviors Uh, and really connecting to like a deeper meaning? Uh, Because again, like that foundation is so important of what does this even matter? Why, why do you care if we get the 30 pounds off? Because it didn't, it didn't fix you the first time. It's not going to fix you this time. So we actually have to connect it to something more meaningful. Um, And I think that that's really helped when we've had clients that have maybe backtracked a little bit those are the conversations. It's it's rarely ever about the food. It's rarely ever about their, their workout routine. It is always, always, always about the story that they're telling themselves or uh, the, the other stressors in their life, or just really like setting a strong foundation of why this even matters in the first place.
1: Yeah. You, know, you, you bring up a perfect point. And I mean, I mean, even just like kind of get an example for myself, even like I, you know, after I was chasing my big weight loss goals, the longest time it was, for, for a while it was definitely like chase that next big number next big bowl you know 50 pounds all right let's give you 100 let's go for 150 like all these the next big goals like i'm chasing it was just like i lost like all the meaning behind what actually is the purpose of this weight loss not just chasing that lower number on the scale because you're right because you once you get there you just look at it you're like huh i'm here now
2: yep and what's next
1: now what <laughs> and then, like you, and when you said like, then you just like kind of like start just kind of sliding right back because it's like you lost, you didn't, you, you've no longer chasing that number anymore. So it's just kind of like, all right, now what? And you're sliding right back to old behaviors, and that's exactly what I went through a lot with my journey.
2: Yeah. So the interesting thing about that is, you know, we have uh, you know dopamine that's released in our brain that is is kind of like the the motivation center. It, it drives us to take action. And what a lot of people don't recognize about dopamine is it's not, we think of it as like the pleasure center, which it is to an extent, but it's not the pleasure itself. It's the promise of pleasure. Mm. And that's kind of the really messed up thing is it's anticipatory. It's like, because um, there was all these messed up studies that they did back when it was like, okay, to torture humans and animals. Oh, <laughs> and so they like, took like these little electric pulses and and attached them to the dopamine center of the brain. First, they did it in rats, and then they actually did it in humans. And they would they would send this shock that would light up the, the dopamine centers of the brain. And the rats would would do anything. They would have this lever that they could pull and they would step on the lever, pull the lever, and they would get this stimulation uh, in the dopamine center of the brain. And they would starve themselves to death just to hit the lever. They would skip food. They would skip water. They then they put the lever over these um like electric uh wires where they would like actually burn their feet off. Wow. And the rats would just walk right over the, like causing all sorts of pain to pull the lever. Then they were like, we have to try this in humans oh, because geez. we can't, we can't communicate with the rats to know what they're feeling and experiencing. So they did basically the same study in humans and the way that it was described. And they, and it got so intense that the humans being able to pull the labor, they would do it like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times consecutively. Wow. And they would, and when the, when the, um, the psychologists who were running the study were trying to get the little like brain, whatever off of their, uh, the little like thing that they were using on their yeah. brain. When they were trying to pull it off, they were having to like fight the participants because they were like, no, you can't take this off me. And the the way that it was described was that the feeling that they got, the stimulation that they got, it wasn't a pleasureful, it, like it wasn't, it didn't feel good. It wasn't like, oh my God, this is the best feeling in the world. They were like, it actually didn't feel that good at all. But it, it felt like the next time would be the time that it felt good. So it was like mm. this promise of pleasure. And it was like, I have to keep pulling because the next one feels like it's going to be the one, the next one. And that's how powerful dopamine is. Um, and the reason why I say that is because when you start to anticipate how you'll feel, like we're heading into resolution time. When you start to make these big goals and you start to dream and fantasize about what it's going to look like when you achieve that goal, that's dopamine is the thing where that promise of pleasure is so intoxicating and enticing that it will literally have you walking across wires that are burning your feet off just to get that dopamine response, but it doesn't actually feel good. And then you keep going after it. So, this is like chasing that number just to chase it. Mm-hmm. But what happens is when you start doing the work and you're no longer getting that dopamine hit, and you're like, well, I'm doing all this work and I'm not, I don't feel all that good. A lot of times we send ourselves back to square one so we can start dreaming again about the big picture and having all of these goals that we're going to hit and how good it's going to feel. And we go right back into that dopamine cycle um, so we can actually sabotage ourselves from going back to the beginning of, well, now I have this mountain to climb. Now I'm getting this dopamine hit. Cause it feels so good to dream about this, this promise of pleasure that I'm going to receive. Um, we have to have awareness around how our brains work. Um, and the fact that, you know, when you, uh, when you do eat that cookie because the promise of pleasure is so like, that's your dopamine is going to be stimulated. You're going to feel this promise of pleasure. You're going to eat the cookie and then it doesn't really feel all that good. And you're like, oh, okay, that, that tasted good, but like, it didn't really change anything in me, but like the next cookie is going to be the thing. And then the next cookie, it's like, why do we get addicted to social media? Why do we get addicted to, you know, drugs and alcohol or porn or anything that stimulates dopamine? It's the promise of pleasure. The thing itself doesn't actually feel all that good, but it's this anticipation. Um, So a lot of times we find ourselves when we keep chasing these goals, Without anything real or meaningful underneath it, we just keep going because the next ten pounds is the thing, and then the next ten pounds is the thing. It's never really the thing, so we have to take a step back and actually assess, like, why is this even important?
1: Wow, <laughs> that that hits home a lot. Like, even just for myself, I, you know, I've never I've never heard it described that way. Like how like it's like the the promise of you know pleasure, like next is the next step, and. And even, even down to like the eating, like the cookies like you mentioned, like even something as simple as that, like, yeah, like I, you know, back in when I was really struggling and battling with binge eating and things like that, you're exactly right. It's always like in the moment. Yeah. It's not that great, but it's just like, but that next bite coming even better. And it's never there, but that next bite, that next bite, that next bite until it's all gone. You're like, man, I still feel now just like shit. I like a whole bag of cookies. I mean, like that's the power of
2: dopamine, and that we actually have
1: feel-good neurotransmitters like,
2: like serotonin and, and oxytocin and GABA, and like those are the feel-good neurotransmitters that are like, oh, I I'm actually content and happy. Like the dopamine is, it's gonna get you to take action because it's like this. If you just think about it from an evolutionary standpoint, like if I know that food is scarce and energy is scarce. And I need to find something that's high in fat or high in sugar or whatever it is that's going to keep me alive. Dopamine stimulates that go, go get it, like walk over the hot wires, go, go keep us alive, do whatever you need to do. But like, it motivates you to take action. Unfortunately, now in our environment, we don't have to work that hard for it. Um, You know, one of my favorite uh, podcasts to listen to is the Huberman Lab and uh, Andrew Huberman is is the host, and he's a brilliant neuroscientist. And he has a quote that I always always reference. And he said, uh, "Seeking dopamine without effort will destroy a person." And and it's really really profound because we evolved to to have to work for dope. Like in order to get that dopamine response, it required effort, like hunting for your food and even gathering your food or whatever it required. Like all the things that stimulated a, dop- a dopamine response required effort and now i can literally pull out my phone and get a dopamine hit with zero effort and then it's like the same thing like i got that like on my photo and then it's like oh that felt good but i really didn't maybe the next one maybe the next one we just then you're like if you've ever been in just kind of this this state where you close out of instagram and then like two seconds later you're back scrolling you're like how did i get back here i don't (laughs) don't even remember opening the app again and i'm like back on my I'm scrolling again. It doesn't make any sense. Like that's the power of dopamine where it's like the, the next one's going to be the one, but it will never be the one.
1: Yeah. I love it. Thank you so much for bringing that down. That, that was, that was really helpful for me. And I know the listeners are probably also just as, just as shocked as I am to like, it all just, it all connects. And it's just all, it's, it's really fascinating. Once you hear those kind of things, that's like, that's exactly how I was feeling in that moment. So it, it brings that not valid, validation isn't the word I'm looking for, but it just, it, the understanding is now there of why that's working that way. Yeah, it's really yeah. interesting.
2: As long as we have awareness around it, like once you have awareness, then you can change it. And that's, that's the ultimate objective. Like with, with all of this, anytime you have a goal that you're trying to accomplish, anytime you have a change that you're trying to make in your life or a big decision or anything like that, it has to come from a place of awareness first. And and, and that's gotta be the starting point for everybody. Awesome.
1: We'll kind of start like wrap up here. You know, I always, towards the end of the show, I always, you know, this has been great. I know you give, you're already given a ton of tactical information, but I always love to kind of wrap up asking guests, like what are one to two tips for anyone who's looking to get started in their health journey? And, you know, and again, perfect timing. because we're getting ready to start in the new years. And a lot of people are trying to get ready to take that big leap right now. And, you know, I say big leap is how they're viewing it, but, you know, again, probably should be a different perspective there, but What are one or two things that they should be really focusing on as they're getting started?
2: Yeah, you mentioned it. One to two things. Um, Start exactly. (laughs) Don't don't try to change everything. This is again where we talk about like overtraining your willpower muscle. Even if it feels simple, it still requires self control and willpower. I don't care if you're trying to add a ten minute walk to your day, your your daily schedule. I don't care if you're trying to, you know, eat better food. I don't care if you're trying to get to the gym or drink more water. It doesn't matter. It all requires willpower and self-control. So when you try to insert seven different things, which is what most people do in January, most people have this big dream. And again, the the bigger the dream, the bigger the goal, the more that dopamine is going to kick in and tell you that you can do all the things at once and it's going to be a crash and burn situation. So you have to have awareness around that and be like, okay, what is the one thing that I can start with that feels very doable? What's the one habit and behavior that I can change right now? And I would say, when you kind of break it down into the three categories and you have I will, I won't, or I want, start with one of them. You don't have to go through all, eventually we want to incorporate all three, but just start with one. What's one thing that you will do that you aren't doing right now? What's one thing that you won't do that you're currently doing? Or what's one thing that you really want? Just pick one and start with that and start with one small change, one small behavior change, one small habit, and it will get easier to then take that momentum and add the next layer. Uh, and that's really how success is created. It's not created by changing everything all at once. It's created by little small steps, micro step your way to where you want to go. Um, and, and really, you know, we have to kind of embrace the the process of it all. And because if you invest your your time and energy in the process, you can repeat it and you can replicate it. So let's just say we do start with the 10 minute walk idea. And you're like, you know what, this is the I'm not doing it currently. I'm going to use I will power. I will go for a 10-minute walk every single day and we start to do that. Uh and you you really invest in the process, then you can replicate that process for the next habit you're trying to instill or you go and look at something that you want to break. You you look at something that you don't want to be doing that you're currently doing so we tackle that next. Um and and now you just start to to gradually build up momentum and confidence and you know, you'll be amazed at what a difference one to two small changes over time can make. Um, the reason why I can't get very specific is because it always depends on the individual. Uh, for some people, a 10-minute walk feels like too much, and that's totally fair. Uh, it might just be, you know, drinking more water. It might be getting to the gym three days a week. It might be incorporating a little more protein and veggies in your day. Um, you know, you find the thing that feels really easy. You're like, you know what? I think I can do this. I feel confident. I'm ready to tackle this one thing. Prove to yourself you can do it. Uh, before, you know, it's okay if you have your list of seven things. It's okay if you have all these things that you <laughs> want to change. Uh, just write them down and keep them to the side. And that way, when you you prove to yourself that you could check off the one item, and you feel really good that it's it's a habit. It's it's a true behavior change. You're not just checking a box, but you've truly become that person. Who does that thing consistently? Then go to the next thing on your list and just work your way down. Awesome,
1: Mike. This has been a great recording, great episode. I really appreciate you coming on, taking your time out today. This is this has been really, really good. Thank you.
2: Yeah, thanks for having me. This
1: was fun. Of course, if anyone wants to reach out to you, and I highly recommend that you know follow you on Instagram and everywhere like that. Anywhere else they can get a hold of you, where can they find you at?
2: Yeah. So the best place to connect with me would be Instagram. Uh, my handle is at coach underscore Mike underscore Milner. Uh, if anybody wants to listen to me ramble and rant, then they can subscribe to my podcast, which is called Mind Over Macros. And uh, those are pretty much the the easiest places to connect.
1: Perfect. Guys, I'll drop all this links down into the show notes. You can definitely go check that out. Again, Mike, thanks so much for coming on the show.
0: Thank you. Once again, thank you guys so much for tuning in to another episode of the and Health Podcast. I greatly appreciate you so much for listening. If you enjoyed the show, you can help me by leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. This really helps me become more visible to others. Also, share this episode with friends or family and take a screenshot of the episode and upload it to your stories. Be sure to tag me and my guests so we can be sure to say thank you. If you ever have any questions or feedback about something covered on the show, you're always welcome to send me a message. You can find me on Instagram, at changing underscore chase. Have a great day guys. And remember you matter.